0: We are living in someone's false ARG, this is what the Great Reset is, they're just creating what they want the next story to be. And we also are seeing the revealing right now to understand how this this, this realm works so that we can walk through it with, with greater awareness and consciousness. So then going back to the whole thing of like, you know, why does mysticism work? Why is is synchronicity important? Why is looking at rivers, looking at where you are important? Because that is a baseline reality, which is deeper than the ARG. You are going to connect to something. That is the human experience.
1: Morning, Uncle Mike. How you doing? Or should I I say mystic, Mike?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am doing well, Mark. How are you today?
1: I'm doing really well. I, uh, yeah, I'm glad to, uh, to hear we're both mystics, at least according to Ross Ben. He just put out the 40th parallel, uh, episode number 12, which I checked out last night before bed.
0: And, uh, yes, I do believe he referred to me as mystic Mike. And I thought the same thing, how we share the, uh, the M M mystic moniker.
1: Right. Well, you can also say, you know, M plus M is that's 13, right? 13 plus 13. That's 26. That's the whole alphabet.
0: That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) That is correct.
1: Anyways, a lot has gone on and, um, Very sorry we didn't make it to your your party, but I think I did a good job of uh, not giving any hints or clues away. How was the surprise party?
0: Uh, Have you ever been on the receiving end of a surprise party? (laughs)
1: Um, Virtually, yes, that one time this year, uh, but that was virtual.
0: Was that a surprise when, when you realized what was happening?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Tara. You- Tara completely like had me in the dark, and then she said, "Hey, uh, come downstairs." And all of a sudden, I I sit in front of my computer, and there's twenty of my friends on the computer.
0: <laughs> so then, yeah, I would imagine that would be more similar than less similar than you. Then we both share that in common as well, in the fact that we both were on the receiving end of surprise parties. This, uh, this this year and uh and yours was when? Wait September or October. Late September, early October. When's your birthday? October eleventh. October eleventh, okay. So um no uh a month and a half ago. So uh yes, we both received the uh been on the receiving end and it's a strange thing. It's really strange. Like it's it's funny strange. Like to when you because I was completely surprised I had no idea and I've never received a surprise party before but it was it's it's uh it's one of those fun sort of things that kind of shakes you because uh, for a moment, your reality uh, in the most literal sense has been just been altered and shifted in a very dramatic and, (laughs) and kind of fun way because you thought this is what's going on. Like the moment until everyone yelled surprise, you were under an assumption that this is how like, you know, that day or that moment of the day is unfolding. And then all of a sudden, like there's this huge flood Of of um, stimulus that comes into your world, and then from and you're trying to make sense of it. You're like, oh, you know, it's maybe it happens in a split second or what have you. But like, that's a literal thing. That's a literal like, no matter how you wanna how you wanna um, categorize it, but it's a literal like rewiring of the nervous system in a way. And it's it was uh, it was a really really cool experience. It was a really cool experience. And understand. and you did a great job keeping the secret. Uh you and uh you and Tara left a wonderful video. There were a handful of other people who were part of the video as well. But um but yeah, that was a it was a really, really, really nice surprise.
1: Right on. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I um again, you know, it wasn't uh weren't in the best position to take the four hour drive out there, but uh next time, Mike, I promise I'll make it out
0: on the next uh, surprise party the next <laughs> surprise party on the on a on a fifty. On a fifty right. uh, <laughs> so then so okay, I may hold you to that. So you said a lot of tapped since then. So bring me through what 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 did you mean by that?
1: Well I think you and and Ross were discussing a lot of it um, in your video that just came out last night. So I was taking a few notes and that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about because it seems like, and without, you know, repeating yourself too much, cause I know you did just get into all this, uh, there, but the way you described the ecliptic and the Zodiac, I thought were definitely worth bringing up here, uh, because it connects to that baseline awareness that we're trying to foster here. And, and, and the way you guys put it, those the, the natal chart or what people, I don't know if that's the proper term, what's the name of a, a, those charts that you guys were looking at with the circle? And is that a, a natal chart or uh, what's it?
0: An astrological chart, a star chart. Right. If you're natal not... Chart, natal chart just is a type of star chart, uh, the, the star chart at the moment of your birth. Right.
1: I think the average person looks at that and they might not... T- make the media association that the circle and the line are the earth and the horizon. Um, and the, and the circle that the signs are in are sort of rotating around that circle. You know, at least that wasn't obvious to me when I first looked at an astrological chart, but I thought the oh. way, the way that you uh, portrayed it with the pictures and, you know, the, sh- the view from your house, it was perfect for me because i remember this summer standing right there and you pointing where i think saturn was we were looking for or a certain star but it also brings to mind that conversation we had the first time we met about muscle memory and how you know as a martial artist you know muscle memory really just is a second nature kind of thing um but what's cool about your conversation with Ross is what I saw forming there was you and Ross Ben were, were kind of creating a framework through which other people can develop this muscle memory.
0: Muscle memory in what, in what way
1: to begin to look at their baseline reality, particularly gotcha, the sky gotcha. in this new, really, really um, different way. But it's a, it's, it's almost like you can't go back. Like once you see, once you see there's two ways to see the image, you don't forget the second
0: way to right, see the image. Right, 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 right. And that, and that's the thing which I think was really kind of cool about the the video we recorded. And we weren't necessarily planning on doing this; it just kind of came out about it naturally. Was we talked we we using the the analogy of the the visual the visual trick, which um, two different scenes can be hidden in the exact same drawing. You know, is it, is it two mouths about to kiss or is it, a, is it a cup? Is it, you know, the old woman or the young woman? I don't remember what they're called, but once you see it, once you understand that there are two ways of seeing that image, you don't go back to it. And we did that with understanding and looking at, at the Zodiac. And we, we described that chart from two different perspectives. Mine was very, very much leaning on what you are objectively seeing with your eyes and turning that, that chart into, um, into something which is meaningful on that material reality level. And then Raz looked at the exact same chart, and he was explaining it from a more mystical, metaphysical level. But the truth of the matter is it's, you know, it's, it's both of those and more. And so when you begin to, to look at both of those, um, simultaneously, like, yes, there's like a, there's a growth, which is happening. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, but when you are able to see the two different images of one of those pictures, do you ever try to stare into it and see them both simultaneously?
1: Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely can't say I remember off the top of my head, but I'm going to look at one right
0: now. (laughs) Yeah. Like use it as like, like purely like, it's not like the goal is to see it. I mean, maybe that, that is like, that's when you know, like you've done it, like looking at 3d art, but it's the very act of like, what is happening? Like, think about it. Like, like consciousness on every single level, whether you want to look at it from, from, uh, material brain level and hemispheres of the brain and, and all of the the rods and the cones and the eyes, or look at that as just being part of the continuum of the, of the brain mind sort of uh, continuum and all of the changes that would happen there. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really cool exercise. It's, and it's, you can, you could think about it as, as vision therapy in a way, but it's for consciousness. You're training, you're seeing that link between the, the physical body and the perception mind by by doing that exercise but but nonetheless let's keep going down with this you you seem to have some some other points you wanted to make with uh that conversation
1: right and you you just kind of described lenses very well i think that's important for people to realize the lens and we've talked about it a bunch on the show so i I guess I'm really just reviewing and and giving a recap for people who might not have checked out the, from the 40th parallel series. It is on the same RSS feed that this podcast is on. So they will uh, be able to check it out very easily, or if they prefer go to YouTube and watch the video, the visual side of it. Uh, But yeah, no, the, the lenses versus, you know, baseline reality and how, especially in this new time we're heading in, how can we be sure what lens we're using to perceive the world? I guess that's, you know, more uh, pertaining to what we're doing here with creating a handbook for the apocalypse. It's like, it seems like the, with the metaverse and different tools, they're trying to create an overlay through which we see the world. Right. That lens is being crafted before us without our consent. Is that something you would, you would say is, uh, is what you're seeing or, or am I off well,
0: there? With that, without a doubt? Well, this is what I would, um, how I would, um, add to that description. Uh, it is an overlay for the masses to experience reality and that. Has seemingly been always the game. The game is, you know, whether we look at it at the, from like the whatever whatever culture's um, storytelling system. That is the lens in which their subjects are meant to understand reality. So, so like that's there's there's nothing new about that. Like maybe there's some newness as to the way which the story, which we were telling, but you know, if you start going down archetypically, you'll see it's the same sort of story, which has been going around for a long time. But this is what I think is the distinction as to what is happening right now. I mean, undoubtedly we have been in this movement for as long as we've been alive. um, But there is going to be a, a drastic, a drastic change in terms of how the, uh, experience uh, interacts with the physical body. That change is happening. That is this transhumanism sort of uh, mingling with, uh, you know, whether we could call it uh, organic organic biological material, you know, that being like the human body uh, intermingling with uh, one level or two levels of standard deviation of, of the natural world or an organic body you know everything which we are supposedly building synthetically should have been made from the materials the raw materials of earth so all it is is theoretically assuming that there's not some you know some 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 black swan in that in that description but but on the mainstream level or the mainline thinking level is technology is just one or two degrees uh, of a change from what was once organic biology. So in a way you could look at, at transhumanism being a, you know, quote unquote, a natural evolutionary. And again, that's a storyline growth in which um, we are going. And so that change, the thing which is different right now is the fact that we are, we are cycling back into um, it's becoming physical in a way that it has not been before. And so I would say that's why this time and why the metaverse is different than than other changes of um, of other changes of uh, of um, you know, changing of the guards or changing of the ages or whatever you want to think of are the markers for the change in um, how life is experienced. I'll also say this. It is my opinion that the metaverse, it it exists or it fulfills um, in a certain sense what you would call age of Aquarius prophecy. But I don't think that, I think that age of Aquarius prophecy is just a narrative. I don't think that's a universal truth. And so that's when we start Um, part of, and that's, you know, that's Mike's, that's Mike's opinion. That's the, that's, that's studying this and using my discernment, you know, what's unique to me, this is the conclusion I have reached. And that doesn't mean that someone cannot come to a different conclusion, but I'm just aware. And what I'm kind of of trying to voice right now is I'm I'm aware of how and why I've come to my conclusions. And if for any fact that, when you hear something laid out clearly, you can begin to, to have more discernment with your own understanding. And each of our understandings creates our consciousness, our, and then that creates our experience. That's why this is so important. Um, you know, As we become just more skilled at the fact that this is a skill, then we literally are having this self-reflective experience where we are creating in a way, you know, I don't want to use like new age tropes, but we are going to be creating reality because we are moving into unchartered territory one way or the other.
1: Right. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we were kind of touching on a lot of points that Isaac Weisop made in this book. I just got, uh, in the mail. It's, um, conspiracy theories and unpopular culture. It's kind of like the greatest hits from his podcast. And that was one of the things he posits in the beginning of the book. It's like, you know, these occultists and Isaac's perspective is very much, you know, like, Hey, I don't know what these guys are up to, but I'm not a part of it, you know? And, uh, and he's like, you know, these occultists is pretty obvious to me are trying to beckon in the age of Aquarius. And I was just reading that yesterday and, Yeah. I I wonder, you know, how good, how bad is that? What does that entail? And I think, you know, I could already guess maybe what you're going to say is that it's not good or bad. It's just, it is what it is.
0: So, so that's a fantastic question. I'm going to say it a little bit different than that. Um, well, uh, there's there's probably a, a, an infinite ways in which – there's an infinite ways in which the quote-unquote Age of Aquarius could show itself, right? It's the Age of Man. Well, there's infinite ways in which the Age of Man can show itself, so there's that. Mm-hmm. But here here's the point which I was trying to make. Um, there is no universal truth that there's an Age of Aquarius. The Age of Aquarius only exists – within the lens of understanding reality of Western culture and Western Zodiac archetypes. Right. Right. Like all of with, and, and so that's what I, that's what I think is the, is the interesting question or the interesting per, perspective. So um, the Western Zodiac archetype um, we all know that. Whether or not you study astrology or not is absolutely independent of the fact that this is part of your culture because this has been part of the culture for a very, very long time, and it's embedded deeply, deeply, deeply within, within institutions, within collect, collective consciousness, all this sort of stuff. We all know it on an archetypical level, which is why there's a truth to it and a familiarity with it. But there's also the fact that, you know what, that's not the universal truth. That's not the universal truth at all. And there's like a lot of ways which that could be demonstrated. So when you recognize that it's not a universal truth, well, then that that opens up a whole lot of other doors. And like that could be um, – if you still like 12 sign or zodiac archetype. And all that is is like when we think of like the hero's journey – that that zodiac archetype story like the hero's journey is there's a truth to it and there's a beauty to it and there's all of that sort of stuff but it falls within the zodiac and so if you if we if we still were being somehow and somehow still living on earth whatever that was we would not necessarily have to be living in that archetypical story of what the human experience is it frames it up and the truth of the matter is, because that's all we really kind of know. Um, you know, when we imagine what it's like to be human on Earth, which we have no idea what those statements truly mean, um, we 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 don't know how, why that can go. So all that being said, all that being said, right now is we're having one of these major changes. You know, from from not being transhuman to there's going to be a level of reality where transhumanism is going to exist. You know, does that collapse on itself? I don't know. That's above my pay grade. Uh, but that's, that's happening. That's happening. You know, arguably that's happened. Arguably that's happened. Like if, if, uh, we are living in a very different, uh, uh, environment than five generations ago, just in terms of like the electromagnetism and stuff like that. So, so arguably you could say it's already happened. It's just going to another stage. But, but the point is um, we can see it with a clarity and an agreement um, in a way which which, at previous times I don't think was so readily available. And as you and I are discussing these sort of ideas more and more, uh, hopefully what's, what's becoming true for all of us is um, – is the this, you have the the capability and or responsibility of that comes with discernment during this time is like you get to go down um whatever path you're gonna choose. Whatever you choose, like you got discernment, you know that all of these stories on a certain level are going to, to break down. So all that being said, you're still here. What are you gonna do? How do you want to meet this? And that's what, and I don't think that's there's a right answer. I think there's just a more or less aware answer. Mm-hmm. And I find that very, very exciting. And I find that like, you know, the big part of what, what me and Roz were doing, what you and I are doing, what we're all doing. We're all kind of figuring this, we're, we're, we're waking up uh, to an actual invisible ships experience of like oh wow this is what's going on around us but then we're also realizing oh this is how reality works right yeah so that so that being said i've got some real exciting things which i want to go and bring into a new reality let's do it all right but before i go there is there is there a question or any sort of clarification which you wanted to make about what i what i was just saying
1: no, I think, uh, I think if I ask any questions, we'll go off track because I have a little story maybe we'll get to towards the end um, because I think the Aquarius archetype and the idea of the archetype and a little bit of what happened to me. Did you get the video I sent you? Was it clear? Was that
0: a coyote? A that coyote was, or a wolf?
1: That was a coyote, and we saw it during the day. Um. Well, I'll get into it because it's real quick. We'll get into that. It's real quick. We'll get into that. So Rob B, shout out to Rob B, listens to the show. He said, "Hey Mark, you gotta go check out this Stonehenge-looking thing down in Satcham's Head, Guilford." So I said, "Wow, Satcham's Head, Stonehenge-looking thing. Of course, right? Why wouldn't I?" So. Tara and I got in the car, we drove over to Guilford, we went to Satcham's Head, and we drove around. And as we're driving, the sun's setting, and this coyote just is right on the side of the road, walks in front of our car, because, you know, I pulled over to look at him, walks in front of our car and starts walking alongside of the car. And that's when I pulled my camera out and got that video of him that I sent you. then he's, you know, just moseying down the street and we're kind of driving along following him and then, you know, he disappears in the flash of an eye. Like, we went and turned around to see where he was going next and he was gone. Um, But, you know, given everything we know about the trickster and and all the the symbolism there, um, I'm wondering, you know, how synchronous is it that I'm going to Satcham's head and I see this coyote... But then again, you know, I guess this is um, venturing into the personal territory. So I'll keep my word. I'll use my words wisely. But, you know, I think that the the trickster isn't necessarily a good symbol, you know, um, for two people to see. Um, but then again, everything has this positive or negative side of things. And we almost color our experience based on our reaction to that. So, like, if I had taken the coyote as a negative symbol right away, it might not have, our day might not have unfolded the way it did. You know, like, oh, no, it's a coyote. Uh, This is not a good omen. Rather than our response, which was, wow, look at this, and just kind of, we're in awe of it.
0: I think, uh, I mean, that's a big part of, of what we're talking about is then how do realizing that you're doing that is what I'm, what I like to describe and what you just highlighted is seeing how life works in real time. Right. And so, uh, the, the couple ways of thinking about that example is, is one, um, you know, question is, are you responding? Are you reacting? You know, maybe I'll use the word reacting rather than responding. Are you reacting to an external stimuli? So that's a yes, no question. You know, in part, you could spend your time like, I want to learn how not to react. I want to learn how to not to react. I used to do these exercises watching like movies or TV. I mean, this is like 10 years ago. I put this thing out. It's like how to how to train with the TV and you would find something which which normally you would respond to. Like, let's say if you like to watch sports, like an excite something that your favorite team, like something which would get you emotionally involved or if you got caught up into storylines, you know, watch something that gets you caught up and be try to watch something like that. Um being completely fully mentally engaged, but not allowing your body to respond. And so you're doing this dance of like, of learning of how my bot how I get hooked in emotionally and then how I respond. So anyway, so that's a whole practice. So, so like just recognizing whether you're going to respond to the coyote symbol is the first thing. And then, and then recognizing like, Oh wow, there's lots of, there are lots of interpretations of what this symbol can be, um, you know, the trickster can be all of these different sort of things. And then you could also even say like, you know, what am I even responding to to begin with? And so I think that that is for developing the discernment of where and how we are in reality, because it's being, it's being, it's being um, interacted with. Uh, We begin those skills of, just what I'm talking about of, of, of this, like creating reality. This is what it looks like. You begin to see it in action. Right. And, and it is, and that, and this is the thing, which is kind of funny is the other term of meta or the other definition of meta is self-reflective. And so, the fact that 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 what we're describing is being very meta, like you are being self-reflective. You're catching yourself in action, doing something, and then that's when they get into this this like kind of quantum physics sort of thing, where everything just collapses, like potentialities collapse, and like you go into a different sort of realm because you did not you did not fall under the same sort of circumstances of being. Um, unaware to the situation.
1: Right. Well, and the reason it's kind of the, the, the coyote, how it wraps into Rob B. And I feel like I left out a major detail. So the trickster, right? I show up to this place based on a a lead that Rob B gives me and, and keep in mind, Rob B is just a name on a YouTube channel. And you know, I, I've never met him in person. I trust that what he's saying is you know, valid and and he's not just making things up. So, you know, going out of my way to go to this place. And then the first thing I see is this trickster sign. I remembered his, uh, YouTube logo, which is a jester. He's got like this strange looking jester (laughs) as his photo icon. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, did I just get tricked? And like, here's the, cause you know, the truth is we didn't end up finding that Stonehenge, um, And I think, you know, when I asked him about it, he said it was on, you know, private property, which is like, well, geez, you know, but if we, if we saw the coyote and, and put all the pieces together right then and there, what we wouldn't have seen was this really cool stone row that took us into a swamp and and possibly into an ancient quarry and then a huge boulder on top of this, uh, I don't know how to describe the rock, but it was in the water. It was like, um, it was on the tide. It was in the tidal zone, and it was this big, big, massive boulder that just looked really out of place. So the name Satcham's Head, you know, brings to mind, you know, this long history of maybe Native Americans being there. And upon arrival there, we found some evidence that might point to uh, there being some, some interesting history in that area. At this point in time, you know, it, it's definitely all new. And I think the trickster symbol wasn't a bad thing. If anything, it was, uh, it was like the other, the the more benevolent interpretation, which is like the fool, you know, like uh, I think the animal spirit book, which we've mentioned a couple times on this book, uh, animal speak by Ted Andrews. He mentions the coyote being very similar to the, the fool in the tarot and, and I am, and Tara, my girlfriend, we're both beginning this journey, uh, in a way at this time in our life. So a lot of things have been going on. I'll just say that, but you had something cooked up. Um,
0: Uh,
1: uh, I'm ready to hear uh, it.
0: So, um, before I get into that, let's, let's also like, let's, let's point out the obvious Mm. that, that that um, we, when I say we, I mean the collective, the collective us, even if that's just like me, you and whatever folks are listening to us. Like, like we are recognizing that there is a, a change occurring, occurred in front of our eyes right now. And it's becoming more and more obvious. It should. It should. And, and change can mean all sorts of different things. The way things were and the way things are are not the same. And we're becoming aware to the depth of that. Um one of the ways which I look at that is we are in also an overlap right now of, of different, we'll just call it uh, realities for lack of a better word. And so looking at what's new and then having discernment for what is new, I think is also an indication as to what you're blending into you know, to be specific, you start wearing like new VR goggles, well, you're obviously blending into this (laughs) one newness of, of, of the uh, metaverse world, but that's not the only world that's happening. And so, you know, you're describing some of, of your experiences and, and I've described mine. And so that could be something, but, but experiences are primarily subjective. That does not necessarily mean that there's no value to it. It just means that subjective experiences don't ever translate to the full depth outside of the person who has it. I mean, that's the nature of subjective. Like we can honor other people's subjective experiences, but no one else is going to get it like the person who has it. That's why objective experiences are the best because we can go, or objectively shared experiences. We can go and share them. They're not as rich as subjective, but we can at least share them on the same page. So all that being said, I've got a couple things which have spilled out into our experiential world right now, something which we can all uh, experience and, and recognize are something that did not exist before, and now they do. Okay? Are you ready? Yeah. All right. And they're both stones. Okay. So the first one... I call Susquehanna Serpentine. Right. Have you ever heard of Susquehanna Serpentine before?
1: I think you showed it to me, uh, but I know what Serpentine is. I have pieces of Serpentine, but Susquehanna Serpentine, I can't visualize it, no.
0: So so Serpentine is, uh, for a variety of reasons, an absolutely amazing stone and stone perfect for humans. Um, and so one of the reasons why I say that is uh, its range of colors and beauties. We like the colors, we can see the colors. Um, but it's uh, it is found throughout earth. Everywhere has different types of serpentine. And then lastly, uh, serpentine is a stone which is very friendly to be worked with. It's strong, uh, but it can be shaped relatively easy if you know what you're doing and if you have the right tools. And so that makes it a very, very kind of like friendly, friendly human stone, or at least that's the way how I'm looking at it. Right. Um, And so Susquehanna serpentine is is I'm putting, I'm naming something. So I think we've talked about before about the power of, of naming. Like naming is, you know, it's, as soon as something is named, it's gone out of it's gone out of the, the field of potentiality into the field of existence. Why? Because now it's named, because it could have been all these different sort of things and looked at it a different way. And so once you name something, that happens. Like there's a collapse of other potentialities. This is reality being created. So this kind of happens if you're gonna be involved with life. If you don't want to be involved with life, well you could always remain in the in the realm of, of potentiality. And, and and arguably we're always in that balance of the potentiality. But nonetheless, what I'm saying right now is in the realm of reality in which I am stepping into, and I think you are stepping into, and if you're listening to this, you're stepping into it as well. um, There is such a thing called the Susquehanna Serpentine. There's such a thing called the Susquehanna Serpentine. And what it specifically is, is a type of serpentine, and serpentine is found throughout earth, that Comes from the land of the Susquehanna, and even more specifically, where I am. And so, so you have seen some of it before because the story has been been kind of uh, what I'm calling a story is probably more accurate, accurately described is a clarity in terms of the events that have transpired. But my okay. friend Brand, my friend Brandon. Uh, you have you met Brandon did you meet Brandon no
1: no I don't think mm. so
0: so you uh, side note at the surprise party there was one person six foot ten there was I think two uh, one person six foot five and a variety of people between six foot and and um, and six five had you and my friend Jonathan showed up we would have had two more in the above six, five categories. There's a lot of, a lot of height for a small number of, of, of men, but nonetheless, nonetheless. So Brandon lives right on the Susquehanna river on the Western side. And Brandon about a year and a half ago had delivered to the property in which his parents live on in a rural part of Pennsylvania, maybe two miles from the river. Um, stone in order to, um, create the padding, uh, for a trailer, which he was going to live in. And shortly after having this stone, which came from a quarry just shortly from his house delivered, and it was, it was, I believe, 14 tons. He realized it was all serpentine. And so if you go and you, th- and you go and you think about this, like how many people, like randomly, like percentage-wise, if they saw a bunch of stone like out of place, like delivered to their house for utilitarian purposes, would eventually begin to recognize the type of stone it was. It was. I would say that would be at, uh, no larger than 5% of the population would even have that capability and or interest to be able to identify stone. And so Brandon would fall under that 5%. He has that skill set. And then secondly, he has the skill set of a stone handler. Like he knows how to carve stone, polish stone, and so forth. And he has the skill set both of an artisan and an artist. And he also has the mentality of someone who you would call uh, maybe a magician. Like he has all of these qualities to get together, and he had delivered to him 13 or 11 tons of this stone of all grades and of all and of all and a variety of colorations. And so it is Brandon who has begun, who has received like, you know, Brandon did not ask for this, but he had, he had developed his consciousness in such a way so that when the outer world could go and reflect back what he's been de- what he has been developing internally, you know this is what it looks like like this is literally what it looks like wow. and so this could this could happen to a million different people like you know let's say of of all of the there's still a million people who could fit into like that brandon sort of 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 group which would be able to identify and then be able to work with and make these amazing sort of 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 things with this Susquehanna serpentine. But then of those, like you know, that number of what exists, how many of those guys has a friend who is equally as skilled with just storytelling. Just being able to go and see <laughs> connections and be able to weave it together in such a way that it that it encapsulates the heart and the mind. You know, That's how I would describe what I do. I'm not the only dude who does this, I certainly this the way I do it, but I'm the only guy who's got Brandon who I've got something to work with. And you can begin to see how this is like, and you know, me then having a friend like you, which provides me an opportunity to go and reach all of the people, all of the people who are listening, whether that's like 550, 500, 5,000, whatever, you know, this is how that happens, mm. you know, and this is a real thing. This is a real thing, these, these, uh, um, uh, this Susquehanna Serpentine, there's no way around the way that this has been introduced into the collective consciousness which is not uh to, which is not an accurate description of what's happening and so in a very literal sense in a very literal sense we can see reality change in so many different ways you can have one of these stones you can hold one of these stones and everything which i said about it is true and then you could just think about it and it becomes true this is like this is the 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 Almost the minutiae of looking at reality unfold. And as long as this does not have to fall within the metaverse or another storyline, well, then it still remains pure of that as well. So that is the first that is the first rock story which which I want to go and tell you has introduced itself into the world. And now I'm gonna tell you a second one and I'm gonna pause and let you reflect back to me. Is that okay, Mystic Mark? Can I do that?
1: Yes. And I will say that I've owned Serpentine for a couple years. It's one of my favorite stones. It's like one of the most oval shaped stones that I have. So maybe that's adds to the lapidary. Uh, aspects you know being able to shape it it's very interesting i did not know that and i'm eager to to learn how to carve stone because i found a um article that talks about six strange stones in new england and up in lake winnipesaukee in new hampshire there's this really strange carved stone i don't know enough about it to get into it much further but we'll definitely bring it up in a future episode and then a side note Rob B, who I mentioned, he's a stonemason. So it comes full circle. Uh, it
0: comes it comes full circle. So let me just also say this out, which, you know, let's see if this is part of the new of the new reality. So Brandon, Brandon's got a lot of skills and he's good friends with Seppi. And Seppi's got a lot of skills as well. And one of the ideas in which they've been throwing around, because Brandon has as the 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 land for it which is to develop almost what you would kind of think of as a school and it's dealing with all of the things that you just suggested like everything as it relates to 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 leather stone working, all of these different sort of 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 maybe what we would call ancient arts but but met in in this particular time meaning it's like I haven't been, I, it doesn't cost a lot of money. I haven't been, I haven't been raised since a child. This is in 10 generations. All these things with previous times on earth, which people would find themselves on a certain path, like this type of schooling. And I use that word with quotation marks and just out of lack of having another word for it, but, but that may be happening on this land. So I just want to plant that seed out there as well.
1: Well, that's awesome. Considering I just had a conversation with um, a freedom anarchist, voluntaryist, The way they're rebranding anarchists, um, and that's a big part of their um, message is is create these freedom-oriented maker spaces. Now, I know this isn't necessarily. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know what? That's that's a fair description for what what how this would be described.
1: Well, and I think that's what we're gonna see, you know, especially considering some of the other conversations we've had with, the, uh, you know, off-grid communities that are forming and people looking to be become more self-sufficient, and uh, and that's why we're providing this handbook for the apocalypse. But please, that, Mike, go that, on.
0: So okay, so and and what's so interesting about the rock, though, the stone, and I'll go back to this, and this gets a little bit into the mysticism aspect is it's a bleed through like we regardless of topic you know regardless of 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 any 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 podcast you may be listening to it's like when we hear things that are just exist within the realm of potentiality and ideas like potentiality uh begins to take form in the idea realm before it, it, it takes form in the material realm. But mm. when we go and we could have something that is material, well then we can see like this is this is more further along that continuum of unfoldment. So what's so neat about what what, 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 what I'm describing and the and also the second story is is there is bleed through on material plane. And that can be met with whatever you want that to mean. So the second the second thing is so uh, the the serpentine story I just told you like I've known about for about a year that Brandon has had this stone but he was one of the people who came to the surprise party and there were a bunch of people there at the surprise party who did not know each other so I had the pleasure of being able to go and introduce my friends to each other and it's always nice when someone can. Can frame up what and who you are. So I got to I got to do that with my friend Brandon, and and I was able to see how far along the growth has happened with all of this stone work which he's done. And he gave me a stone for my birthday. And so so that is when when the story of the Susquehanna the Susquehanna Serpentine, in my mind, came to take some weight and it was tied in directly with me having the stone wrapped in a certain way. So, so that's the key thing. And that happened on the, on um, Friday night. And then on Saturday, on Saturday, there was a, a winter fair at my children's school and I saw a friend of mine, someone I don't know that well, but someone who I know, and is also someone who works, you know, is able to support mm-hmm. themselves in, in that way in the realm of, of crystals and minerals. And that's, you know, both like, you know, mercantilism buying and selling them, but then also adding value with like, with, with, with wrapping and, and so forth. So right. I was talking to this person and, and, and I was asking them because Brandon was just in mind. And I said, oh, ha- oh, do, do you know, Brandon, do you know about, about the, the, the Susquehanna Serpentine? And they were like, yeah, 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 I know all about that. And, and it occurred to me, I was like, of course, of course, these people know each other. <laughs> and then they say, well, are you familiar with the, the, that new type of Herkimer diamond? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, oh, you don't know about this? Like, yeah, they've been finding this stone which looks just like Herkimer diamond, a little bit different in the Susquehanna River. Wow. So keep in mind, Herkimer, New York, which is where all the Herkimer Diamonds are found, is located about 20 miles away from Cooperstown, New York. It is not on the Susquehanna, but it is in that general vicinity. 20 miles, like if you're standing there, seems very far, but 20 miles apart from halfway around Earth is like, no, that's like within the same bullseye. So there's a truth to that, but there is not a... a, as of I knew prior to hearing this, a direct correlation of whatever it was that created the unique mineral that we call uh, the Herkimer Diamond also is found within the actual Susquehanna River. But you know and I know that fits this narrative in this way which we've been looking at the river for some time. So this just verifies that. So apparently this guy named Patrick Lamberson, and this was in twenty nineteen. He he's uh he from what I gather, and you know, Patrick, if anyone knows Patrick, you know, I'd love to hear the story. Uh this guy was uh is a gem hound and was working on someone's or was granted access on private property to look at uh maybe a particular quarry in northeastern Pennsylvania and he found these stones and you could go and look at them on um on on YouTube there's some video of it and they look a lot like herkimer diamonds except maybe a little bit smokier but there's a lot of other qualities which are very very similar and he and he coined the term susquimers for them uh I'm pretty certain that they're probably you know you, you can't go and buy these there's probably a very small amount and it's 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 not publicly known information but nonetheless I'm seeing two stones which I'm tying to the Susquehanna which have been released uh one with within my own mind within a couple of days of each other. But then if we want to think about it more so like outside of my own unique point of reference, this guy Patrick discovered these stones two years ago. And my friend Brandon received that stone, um, which apparently anyone who's getting stoned from this quarry is getting, uh, uh, is getting a serpentine, but that all that awareness happened two years ago. So we're seeing that literally Unfold um, unfold before our I...
1: eyes. Wow, <laughs> I'm I'm imagining in my mind like all of this talk of the Susquehanna and the Herkimers. There's like like some like gnomes inside of a cave and they're like shaking the walls and then the Herkimers <laughs> fall and they're rolling down uh you know some cave wall and then they fall into the water and and that begins their journey you know down the river and they're just rolling but.
0: Like, I love that. I love what you just did because you stepped out and you just like created a uh, like a a narrative to then go explain something which we don't have explained. And that so and that is so significant within um, within like the creation of reality and the creation of controlling the context in which people imagine reality. And you met that in this like very, very free and open and empowering sort of way. But that's undoubtedly like, you know, uh, I I think of the same thing. Like, you know, I'm like, we, we put all of this awareness on this river and we looked at it in these other ways. And then eventually something just seems to like bubble up or pop up. And it seems to be real. The first time this happened was that carving those, those Masonic carvings that showed up in boulders in the Susquehanna. I know you and I have talked about it with the order of the orange. Right. Like that never had anyone ever talked about that up until two or three years ago. And then that perfect story aligns. And then this with the Herkimer's and so we're seeing it happen and we were able to kind of meet it in this kind of fun way and allow it to happen, and this also allows us not to go, you know, part of what we're seeing is this, the mainstream narrative is this is the old way, and this is the new way, and you're either going going to be holding on to, or anywhere from holding on to, to actively destroying the old way, to completely, um, uh, accepting to building the new way. Like that's the narrative which is being sold to everyone right now. That's the metaverse narrative. And we're able to see that there's something else occurring as well. And we get to create it. When I say we, I mean all of us and not just limited to this. This is an example. Right.
1: Wow. I love it. I love the idea that the serpentine and the Herkimer, they're, they're awakening on a mineralogical le- level.
0: Whatever that means, right? You know, whatever that means, like whatever mineralogical level is, whatever stone is, because we all got stories for what a stone is. The stories are helpful. They may be accurate, but it's a, it's also a limitation. Right. Um, yeah. So I also got, uh, I got a, a really interesting gift in the mail yesterday.
1: Okay. It was, was all it right. another mystery gift?
0: Mm, no. Uh, it was a it was a it was a surprise gift. I wasn't anticipating, but the person who sent it to me, I knew who they were. Okay. There was no there was no surprise. Uh, there, there was no surprise with that. Um, so, so what? It it was a box. It was a box, big box, like probably. Let's say uh, cube size on my front porch when I came home yesterday, um, and it was heavy as all get out. And inside it, there was thirty-five pounds of pennies. Oh, <laughs> all right. but it's Not just regular pennies; these are all pennies. Do you know what a what a? I think they're called like a wheat penny. Is no, the back but. Of it. The back of it is not the the Lincoln Memorial, but it's two strands of wheat. Huh. And I think they stopped making them in
1: 1955. Okay. No. Yeah, I've I've heard the term wheat penny, but I've I never knew what it was.
0: And I believe they have, you know, a part of them is still is still uh, uh, copper, like there's a valuable mineral in them which stopped being used once once they changed the, the coinage. You know, coinage once had intrinsic value, if you said that gold was the intrinsic value, you know, that's a story. Um, but, like, if that's a story, you, uh, the same was true with, like, the pennies and the nickels and so forth. So, on one level, all of these hold, like, you know, copper, there are a couple of nickels in there as well, and so there would be nickel, but then there's also, like, a collectible element, because they're of a certain age. But they're 35 friggin' pounds of them, right? <laughs> and so what's so funny about that and it, and it was it was uh it was probably and to be quite honest it's probably valuable like i mean in terms of like uh of our current system of reality like there's probably a value much more so than just the the the, the sum of one cent of the five thousand. pounds. yeah it sounds so, like a,
1: a nice donation <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was it was a really nice donation. In fact, the card said tribute to the king of the gypsies, which made me laugh. (laughs) Made me laugh pretty hard. Uh, But what? But this is the point of what was so interesting. Like that was a great gift, and there's some other things in there. There were, uh, I think, there were like six pieces of silver, like really interesting coins. Like people send me a lot of coins which I'm grateful for all this stuff I love. And, and one of the things Jenny and I were talking about is how normal it is for the children who live in this house to just see like really exciting and interesting things just sent to you like randomly throughout the year, because I'm, I'm grateful enough that I get to have that experience. So this is like one more thing, but here's where it gets really interesting. So, um, so my good friend Paul sent sent that, and Paul is a, also is actually the guy where the the um, the bank bags originated. From. Oh, okay. Oh, and, Paul, and Paul also sent me included in there was a leather apron, like a a welder's apron. Yeah. But that plays upon Freemasonry because they wear leather aprons. Right. But um, so I get all that sort of stuff in school, and like you know, I don't know. It's fun, and exciting, and all. You know, whatever, like someone gives you a gift, it's it, and particularly something which is interesting with lots of little details. But someone else came to the party three. I, I received that yesterday when Friday was the party. Uh, someone else came to the party, and they gave me uh, they gave me an old fashioned piggy bank. Like that was what the gift, and it's kind of cool. Like you could see that it's it's probably an antique by the condition of the piggy bank, but it's a real piggy bank in the fact that there's no there's no stopper or hole. You can only get out what's inside by breaking it. Ah, like it's been a long time since they made banks like that. Like yeah. it's ceramic. It's like, and it's a pig, and so I get, and it's a, it's strange looking, and it's red and black, like it's got this like weird like uh, like uh, Anton LaVey satanic, like it doesn't, like it's a pig, and it's red and it's black. And and, and it kind of makes sense if you think, you know, as I'm talking about that, because, you know, depending upon how you want to define satanic, like definitely uh, money one way or the other is going to fall into it. Or um, what, what, what mammon, is that the word? Is that the, the, the material? Like, you know, that's, it's not so much money per se as much mammon. Um, And so to get all of that sort of stuff, I think is interesting. Um, but you know that's my story on my birthday with those gifts. So uh, I just brought up some some interesting things. I'm curious what you uh, what your take is upon them.
1: Well, it's definitely synchronous that you got pennies and a piggy bank. But um, I did uh, some not mental math, but quick math, and I found out that. 145 pennies. That's the average um, amount of pennies in a pound based on the average weight of a penny. So you have about 5,075 pennies there, Mike. And uh, wheat pennies, I think, are worth three cents each. So you got about three times... Uh, I mean, geez, that's a lot of math there to do, but you got some some uh, nice investment there in wheat pennies for sure.
0: Um, <laughs> Definitely so. So I, I weighed out the pennies myself. hundred and forty four wheat pennies make a pound. Okay. Or make an ounce. Make an ounce. Is it an ounce or a pound? I think it was no, you're right, it was a pound. It was a pound. So um I weighed them out and I did my own calculations. Uh so I so so we, we, we think the same way, but I think it's interesting that they were uh a little bit heavier, the wheat pennies, uh at 144. And so I like the 144 rather than the 145 because I laid it out on the board in a 12 by 12 grid. Um,
1: yeah. I'm thinking, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of significance to 144, you know, not just Geomatria, but you know, esoterically, it's a very uh interesting number with um what is it? 144 lifetimes. Is it that uh Buddhists talk about, or am I mixing that up with 108?
0: Uh, I always think of one hundred eight in Buddhism, and I think of the one hundred forty-four as it relates to uh, the Bible. There's lots and lots of one hundred forty-fours in the Bible, in the Book of Revelations, and all and all that sort of stuff. And you know, twelve by twelve, twelve is such a significant number biblically, and so twelve by twelve is one hundred forty-four. Um, it's called a gross. I've always wondered why they call it a gross. Like mm. What does gross mean?
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: So I um I. I think 12 by 12 is within that system. It's a significant, it's a significant matrix.
1: Right. Yeah. I, um, I, I can't help but think, you know, when you smash that piggy bank eventually, if you ever do, it, it reminds me of like the serpentine again and, and how they smash this serpentine into little pieces and, and break it out of its natural formation and then sell it to people like your friend, Brandon, but I'm wondering, you know, um, it kind of connects to this conversation I had with Peter Shampoo. Uh, I'm wondering if you had a chance to to listen to it. If not, um, quick highlight. He mentioned when he was working with Stone as a young man, he started to realize, like, ever with every, like, time he broke into a, a piece of stone, meaning, like, uh, or cracked into a geode mm-hmm. or, you know, physically like put force or energy into the stone, there was like a release of energy and he called it a gnome. He called it like information that was emanating out of these stones that he was working with.
0: Did he tie that into, um, uh, like the, the, Does he look at it as the stone as a conscious like being or does he look at it more so like when they opened up, they just gave the information. It wasn't so much like we've given you founder, finder of the stone. Like there's not, there's not a consciousness or an awareness to it. It just happens. Like, did he talk about that at all?
1: I think he was very much in the first, the, the former part of that uh, with consciousness permeating all things and, He talked about like the glial cells in, in the human body and how, you know, we're only using a a small percentage of our consciousness. So I think he's in the, the, um, person from the perspective of all things are conscious for sure.
0: Well, 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 maybe not necessarily all things conscious, but, but aware, like, you know, the difference between being conscious and, and, uh, I'm the like I'm aware as an individual called Mike, let's say, but but uh, does a stone have, Like does he see the stones? And then some people talk that way, uh, particularly with trees. So I was just curious. Well, but, but definitely- the way
1: the, I, I I think it is worth um, expanding on the nuance of that there because I probably say that, but you know, not really clarifying. But if I could, when I say that, I think you know maybe you'll agree with this consciousness you know as indefinable as it may be there is a piece of it that inevitably exists in everything through our interaction of a or awareness with it right so even those subtle subconscious forces like the you know atoms and and the electrons and the neurons all the little pieces of the 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 matter of a crystal or a stone, you know, the way they're arranged has a, a, a component to it that makes it unique. And I think that to me, interacting with those individual components brings out individual components within our consciousness, uh, equal and opposite sort of hmm. relationship.
0: I, the, I like the way you, you, the, the, the picture you painted with that.
1: So, you
0: know, it's, it's, Again, it's it's in this realm
1: of speculative thought, but it, at the same time that's how I've visualized it and it might be beneficial for for some people, but you know, people like to to get to the the facts and and they definitely like to hear more uh more of the tangible stuff too.
0: So, um Definitely. And, and, and the, the, the clarity in spelling out all of these different ways of looking at our reality and our experience, like to me is not a, a, um, like a, a form of, 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 mental play. Like, I think it's, we're, we're discovering that these are the skill. These are the, the attributes of how our reality works, which is why we see the predictive programming and all of this stuff is so significant. And so all of this stuff, which has always been happening in the background, in our consciousness, as we begin to spell out all of our assumptions and how we've reached our conclusions, it isn't so much about the conclusion that we've reached as much as it is about understanding how we got there. And the more we look at that, the more we understand this is how we get anywhere. Right. And to me, that's the real sort of interesting thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, that was kind of at the beginning of our conversation with uh, my conversation with Peter, because I asked him, you know, how do you get into this stuff and, and how did this journey start for him? And that's, his explanation, you know, as he, he started working with the stone, uh, these revelations, these realizations started to come to him. But yeah, you know, what you mentioned there about Brandon possibly starting a school where these, you know, ancient crafts and ancient trades, uh, would be taught and, and, you know, or at least the resources would be available for people to do it themselves, like in a makerspace kind of way. That would be, I would, I would consider moving down there if that was a a reality.
0: And there'll be, and he's a master permaculturist and, and all of that type of machinist. Uh, uh, His, his, he's got, he and my friend Seppi have some of the most interesting combination of skill sets and knowledge bases. And so that, so it made a lot of sense as to um, them thinking that this would be a good place to share knowledge. Mm. Um, and so uh, I appreciate your interest. I'm going to pass that on to them because there's one thing about talking about something and there's another thing about doing it. And so we're, we're in that space right now. I'm holding one of the silver coins in my hand and this is a two ounce silver coin. So most silver coins are one ounce, like your silver dollars. Mm-hmm. So this is two ounces, and as a coin, it is as the same size as a silver dollar, like a silver dollar is a silver dollar, like it's maybe, what, 75% larger than a quarter, would you say, or maybe, uh, it's bigger than a quarter. Yeah. So this other one, which I have, though, it's two ounces, but it's not twice as big as a one ounce in terms of circumference, but it's twice as thick. Okay. Okay. And it's not just it's not just um, uh, like flat thickness. It's high relief, meaning that there's depth to it, and high relief means that there's a lot of depth to it. So it's actually more than twice as thick as the, as a silver dollar because a big part of it is empty to add for the relief. So it's this incredibly thick coin, <laughs> and on it are. Um, Egyptian symbols. There's Anubis, uh, with a scale, and then on the back is uh, Anubis uh or the the full yeah, I guess the dog Anubis the god, so dog headed human body, and then on the back is all dog body in a sphinx position in front of a pyramid. Mm. And it's solid silver.
1: And this is this is something somebody created, or is it something that was minted for like it was minted pu- public minted use for collector?
0: Yeah, it's like you know, apparently, and what I've gathered just because I've been, I think I've received now maybe eight different silver dollars. Okay, and they're all immensely different. Like some come from the U.S. mint, but a lot of them aren't U.S. mint stuff. They're uh, from all over the world, and some of them are just there are. Are uh, um, specifically tied like this one is is Egyptian, like ancient Egypt, and that's it's real. It's two ounces of of silver of ninety nine, whatever. However, they they clarify it, but but there's a whole world of this silver coinage, which I you know for collectors and who knows what else. And so they're coming through to me, and it's uh, <laughs> it tickles me.
1: Right. Yeah, I, uh, this brings to mind a lot because I've been looking into the periodic table of elements. I think I told you about that um, for a, a different show I'm doing with my friend Dave from the Generation Z podcast. It's called the Elemental Philosophorum, and we basically pick a an element from the chart and then look into its history, its properties, and maybe some strange stuff. Dave is... Sure. is more in the ufo community so to speak he's he's right. looking into a lot of that stuff on a weekly basis so he brings that kind of angle and i think you're huh. familiar with my angle so we've gotten through four right. elements so far the next one on the dock is is lithium but silver gold and copper or not copper tin and and you know the more alchemical elements I've been sort of saving because I know that we're going to get into a lot of information there, but I wanted to, you know, we we did titanium. We talked about tungsten. We talked about fluorine and then we also briefly talked about mercury, even though it wasn't the topic. And then we also talked about iron, which was an alchemical element, but silver is particularly interesting um, you know, it's representative of the moon uh, in a lot of cultures. And then also it has this sort of um, bioavailability quality to it where, you know, allegedly it has some properties that may or may not be uh, good for us. And, and also, you know, what I was learning when I looked into John Winthrop Jr. and, and the alchemist in, in Connecticut This was a period in time where people were gravitating. I think we mentioned, I mentioned this to you, where people were gravitating towards metals rather than plants as a potential new medicine. And and God was... You know, uh, according to how they saw the world, God was giving them these revelations through mining. And when they found these amazing things in the ground, it was God giving them a gift. And and obviously, you know, health and and curing diseases was one of the priorities, one of the many priorities to them, apparently. Uh, So that's where they tried to apply, you know, silver when they found it Uh, and other metals, too, but... Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that silver is one of the few um, metals that people, you know, still to this day ingest. And, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about gold, monoatomic gold being, you know, this big uh, resource that, that nobody wants you to know about. And, and they ban it, the FDA bans it because it's so good for us and only the elites are taking it. Um, and then you have also with silver, you know the the theory that oh people will turn blue if you if you take too much of it and there was that guy who was on uh, oprah i think in the 90s who was completely blue but he i think intentionally put silver on his skin to make that happen it wasn't uh like an accident like the conspiracy rumors will make you believe if you go into a health food store you can you're not gonna buy something that'll turn you blue uh, that's at least you know I'm not a doctor but that's at least what I've read
0: <laughs> I personally believe that um, that there the the, the the key to human health by definition could not be a scarce material right it's It's just counterintuitive it's only intuitive for an economic worldview right, and so that that's not to say and that's not to say that gold and silver and rare sort of things do not have a positive impact to the human body. I'm not saying that I'm saying the idea that there's only one thing that can do what it is that they that that what someone's looking for. Uh, that but, Well, there's but this whole mythos
1: right. of, like, the elixir of life, you know, and I think that gold and silver, because of their rarity, got um, maybe equated to being divine or heavenly, and then, um, you know, maybe that's where the, the sort of blurring the lines between what you should and shouldn't ingest and, uh, you know, the keys to immortality and the philosopher's stone. Like, to me, it seems like... As time went on, the metaphors and the analogies got lost and people actually started to think of these metals uh, as actual medicine rather than, you know, a philosophical uh, metaphor for a state of mind.
0: There's, uh, it's, it's, it's all of those, those fascinating stories. But that being said, these silver coins, I have to, like, even we could talk about that uh, and all of the limitations of all of their trickery. So kind of fun just to play with them. Like True. I'm doing magic tricks with my fingers. <clears throat> like I wish I was like good at sleight of hand. Like someone who's really good at sleight of hand is, is I mean, it's literally a work of art. And these would be so much fun to do it with. So, Mark, that's basically what I have for today. What, is there anything else that you want to talk about? No,
1: I mean, unless you have anything to add on the alchemical stuff. I know I just put a lot of uh, information out there, but we do have a a message um, from a listener that we can play. It's two minutes long, and there's a question. Oh,
0: please. Let's hear it.
1: Cool. Let me play it.
2: Hey, Mark. Moonwolf here. Uh, I had a quick question for you and Mike to address on Handbook for the Apocalypse. I heard you say you don't get many recordings on there, so... Just thought I'd leave a quick question, an easy one to break the ice for people. Um, I love both of you guys' work, and I just got to say thanks to Mike. Um, Thanks to you both, but Mike's work has really, really helped me to rediscover the joy in seeking mystery in life, and not just conspiracy, but you know, the, the mystery and meaning, uh, in your own life and the thing, the things around us that really go almost unnoticed and still, till you start looking at them and, uh, and synchronicity start going and gives you a, a trail to follow. It's quite, quite enriching, I have to say, and has really brought me a lot of joy in my personal life. So thanks guys. Um, My question was just when you are researching, say, like a smaller town, how do you go about finding um, historical information? Uh, My main question is like newspaper archives. Do you have an online resource for that? Do you go to the historical societies? Um, I know this isn't necessarily a direct question to do with the content of your handbook for the apocalypse. but. Uh, I just wonder if you could give any tips on how you guys research a local area and uh, as well, um, mineral deposits and uh, waterways. So just your process for how you go about that. Um, yeah, a- any any tips there would be greatly appreciated. All right, love you guys. Bye. Did
0: you hear that all right, Mike? I heard that perfectly. Was it Moon Wolf?
2: moon
1: wolf is the name uh i gave him when he joined our patreon everybody who joins the patreon gets a spiritual animal name
0: i friggin love moon wolf like <laughs> i like like the the whoever it was who just wrapped the recording but then also as a name i like Moonwolf. well his name so is mike
1: are, as well too so
0: so uh and I'll tell—I'll tell you what's interesting is I'm doing—I'm doing a podcast tomorrow on a, on a show I've never been on nor am I familiar with it, but the reason why I wanted to do it is because the guy's name is Mike Wynn. Okay. And so <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's go see what this is. Yeah. Because the similarity of, of one the letter away of the end, yeah, of like you know, sometimes they're, they're name archetypes, and so you go and you go and. Uh, uh, you're somehow you and that other individual, you know, you at least resonate on that level and where else could it be? So nonetheless, I like the MW of the moon wolf. Like that always jumps out in my mind. Do you want to take the first crack of his question or do you want me to?
1: Um, yeah, I kind of answered it on a previous episode just for my podcast because I didn't realize he left it for both of us. But I told him, you know, I go for used bookstores. You know, that tends to be the place where I go. I find, you know, the local interest section. And you can usually find towns in the whole state. I mean, you might not find that exact town you're in at the used bookstore in your town. But if you go to some uh, adjacent bookstores, you might be surprised. Like, you know, one county away, they have a a, a book about your hometown. You know, don't don't be shy and definitely get your feet on the ground and explore too and look for those kind of uh signs that the state or the town puts out or different uh groups make you know these different historical societies will put signs in locations where events have taken place uh that i think is the best way because that's when you you create you know like we talk about here that borderline or um you know baseline reality um marker for like oh okay i've into the you know 40th parallel sign you know like the one you showed us down there in um it wasn't in lancaster it was, it was one town over right um but either way those are the those are the little tricks one example of that is tara and i were looking at a, uh, apartments in the summer and i think i don't know if i mentioned this to you but we were in ansonia connecticut and we pull over on the side of the road to look at the the gps and we look over and there's a, a, a blue sign made by the historical society. And it mentions, you know, the great flood of August such and such 2000, uh, you know, and or a 19 something, you know, and it was freaking the same day that's mentioned on the sign when this flood happened was the day we were there, you know, some however many uh, decades later. But that's the kind of thing that will happen when you go out and explore. So that's my answer.
0: So I, I I love the idea of the becoming aware of historical markers. Any single time you then that's such a good one. Like I didn't even think about that, but I do that. That's probably where everything always began for me. Is anytime there's a sign to read, read it. Right. Like regardless regardless if you think it's if it's if it's like a, a propagandized telling of a story, doesn't matter. Read the sign. The sign was put there. Then you decide, like, look at all the different ways. Those those are a great place to begin. Um, also mentioned was the geology, like any sort of park and nature preserve. Recognize the difference between a, a park and a nature preserve. Different areas have that. Um, the historical societies, if there is – if your town doesn't have one, typically the county might. But if you could get the mailer – I always get good stuff from that and you're right about the bookstores, whether used or new, but to find the local interest where local authors have written, that is great. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the Wikipedia is a really good place to start as well, because you can jump to a lot of things really quickly. Uh, The best if you can get a map of your, if you could get a paper map of your land of your area, that is highly recommended. Um, there are certain benefits of a lot like on a computer or a laptop of looking at Google earth. But what you want to do is you don't want to keep it. If you do use anything on the computer, use it purely as a way of giving you additional information, um, and then go out and apply that information by seeing it in reality because that way you're going to ground it on that level of reality. There's still some benefits of, of all of that Google Earth stuff, but you're also, you know, you're, you're you're messing with that sort of thing. So use that wisely and purposefully, and it's a valuable tool. That's what I would recommend.
1: Right on. Very cool. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I definitely... Uh, I definitely agree that Wikipedia, despite the, the propaganda, you know, you should still read it and, and understand what, at least what they're telling you for the bias, you know, uh, but on that point you did such a fantastic and complex job uh, presenting this metaverse. I mean, the, the ready player one presentation that you put out recently I hesitated to talk about it last week because I I really only began to to really digest it, you know, that week. Um, So I'm hoping maybe we can talk about it next week, unless you have some stuff to talk about now. But I definitely think people should go and check it out. Check out the video version on YouTube and put, you know, put some time aside, maybe even grab a notebook and... uh, and take a look because Mike put a lot of work into that, man. And I got to really put it out to you and uh, say thank you for doing that. Cause it was such a cool video and, uh, and yeah, we got to talk about it more.
0: All right, so well, thank you for that. Uh, I forgot, like you know, so much of life has happened since I put that out for like a month. It took me a month. I don't know if you remember, we were talking about it like every week. I'd be like, oh, I'm still working on this video. You could see, like it it, it takes a while. The recording is the easy thing. It's the month of like building up of idea and 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 putting together the slides. Uh, So thank you for recognizing that and pointing that out. So let me ask, we could go into greater detail next time, uh, but I want to give you an opportunity to point out or or ask about or highlight one portion of it uh, before we conclude for today.
1: Sure. Yeah. So the, you know, the connection between the Buddhist concept and the, and the, just the idea, the neologism of the metaverse, I think that was one of the major parts of it. But where Zuckerberg connects to this all in a synchronistic way, I know people love to hear that kind of stuff. If you, if you can go into that.
0: So, so, okay. So we talked a little bit about, about Zuckerberg. So um in my perspective, like, He's a character. He's a, whatever the hell is happening, whatever the hell reality is, it's happening, and we can recognize that there's a certain level of reality we only learn about through media. Like I've never met any Zuckerberg. I know there's a Facebook. I know all of that. I've seen movies about Zuckerberg. I've seen them on like the Congress, but like, so like I, I, I meet, I meet the Zuckerberg character with an, uh, an awareness of like, well, all I know is through the media and I don't know how far or how deep the story of him goes, but nonetheless, I'm at least clear with what or who I know about it. Um, in that video, I paint a picture how in the early 80s or the early 90s, there was a big technology company that talked about about the future and what it said in the early 90s. In hindsight, we could see it as being very, very accurate as to what is to come. And in that video, I then connect what was done in the 90s to what Zuckerberg the the head of Facebook um is did by renaming Facebook as um as meta and we looked at that from a lot of different areas and and we looked at the word meta from a lot of different ways and so that that was a lot of fun but the one thing which which I do want to point out which I think might be a a, uh, a nice, easy place to kind of wrap this up or for the audience to maybe be a little bit, um, uh, if it piqued your curiosity, if you've not already seen it, was um, looking at Zuckerberg and obviously the, the video or the presentation, my, video, my YouTube analysis includes an, anal- includes an analysis of a Mark Zuckerberg presentation. And I say that this Mark Zuckerberg presentation has to be viewed in context of the Steven Spielberg movie, Ready Player One, because Ready Player One is a fictional version of what Mark Zuckerberg is telling us that we're creating. They literally say it, that in order to make this metaverse, you have to create it. That's why it's so clear as to what we participate in, because they're telling you the truth. You're going to create something or another, but we want you to create this um we looked at the name of zuckerberg and specifically like how we how it ties in with with spielberg and zucker quite literally the history of it is that of um of sugar and sugar we know and we look at sugar as a substance that it is quite possibly the most addictive quality on earth the most addictive right. substance on earth and the reason why it's addictive is because of its relationship with the release of dopamine and arguably all addiction is related to the release of dopamine but sugar in particular so we've got Zucker as the name sugar which is there which is a connection to dopamine in the same way that we know that 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 Facebook has known from the very beginning that the architecture of, of likes and, and all of that sort of stuff is a dopamine hook. Like, of course this is always what it's been. And so when we begin to go and look at, at Zuckerberg and ready player one and all this sort of stuff, and we see the consistency of what's happening in reality and, and what's happening in in the predictive programming, it, it becomes, you know, one, it's kind of funny, uh, and then two, it becomes more clear as to why you probably don't want to become involved with it and all of these other things that you and I are talking about, like how to move off of a particular uh, um, storyline which is given to us, and that's what, what I was hoping to come out with in the mo- in that in that presentation, and then ultimately concluding with with another other ways of looking at the word meta so so that was that was the video and we could go into some of those concepts with with greater detail uh next time we speak right on yeah,
1: I'll be sure to uh revisit it, and I hope the audience does uh they can also listen to it. The audio version, which, uh, you know, if you're if you're that busy, uh, definitely it's available. But I I think definitely put time aside to uh, see the visuals to to sit down and see the visuals, because that's that's the meat and potatoes. And it's going to wrap things up in a in a neat bow. But also from the 40th Parallel, episode 12 just came out and uh, that was awesome as well. Mike, what else you got going on? Anything that people should know about before we get going here?
0: Mm, no, but what I am saying is that, uh, uh, um, oh, what do we do recording this? This is the seventh. Uh, I'm probably going to make like two or th- the eighth. So I'm probably going to make a couple more of these. Um, us mint hemp traveler bags where I convert them into, uh, um, into these awesome drawstring bags. I have them. I've organized all of my stuff through these bags. If anyone's interested in that, they give gifts, you know, hit me up with an email, ask about that. Uh, I'm taking sessions, um, You know, I don't want to, I'm not doing a lot. I said, I'll take 10. I think six people have signed up for a session. So there are four more openings. If anyone's interested in one-on-one session, uh, 90 minutes, $200, you can go and send me an email and and we can get that going. So uh, that's what I got going on right now. Beautiful. And as uh, always, Mark, it's a pleasure to talk with you and to hear about the adventures going on in your life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, Tara and I just went on another hike yesterday, went up to a place called the White Cliffs. And uh, on the podcast front, we've got a new episode coming out uh, that this morning came out with Richard Spence, uh, author of Secret Agent 666. I spoke to him uh, last Mm. week. That was a really great conversation. He's a professor at Idaho State University, uh, expert in secret societies. So Definitely t-
0: by secret agent six, six, six. Is that a John D and Alistair Crowley reference?
1: Well, that book was about Alistair Crowley, uh, and his, his particularly his espionage career. Um, gotcha. okay, and I that's did, fascinating. I did bring up John D. I don't want to give it away. People should listen to the interview, but,
0: but that does come up.
1: Spence had some, uh, Mr. Spence had some really interesting things to say about John D. Edward Kelly. And uh, and that got into some characters I'd never heard of before, like Rene Guenon and uh, Lord William Williamson, I think. Uh, I have them written down somewhere, but people can check that out. And then I just spoke with uh, Owen Hunt. Are you familiar with Bootsy Greenwood? Have you been on his show
0: before? I've n- no, I'm not familiar with the name or uh, Owen nor nor Bo- Bootsy.
1: So that episode's coming out too, but yeah, that's what I've been up to—just uh, podcasting
0: away. All right, my friend. Always fascinating. I definitely want to hear more about the uh, uh, what this guy had to say about John D.
1: Right on. All right, Mike. Well, uh, pleasure, and thank you, folks, for listening uh, to your handbook for the apocalypse, episode 13, Susquehanna Serpentine.